Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please uh, remain standing and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to uh, begin at verse 16 and go through chapter 14, verse 23. So that is uh, chapter 13, verse 16 through 1423. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Saul, Jonathan his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned onto the road to Ophrah, to the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road to Beth Horon. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for a, sharp, for a sharpening was a pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Seneh. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. 
That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within a, about half an acre of land. And there was trembling in, in the camp, in the field and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked and there was the multitude melting away and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor and there was a very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth Aven. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Uh, brothers and sisters, you may be seated. Let's, let's ask now for God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Oh, Father, how we do pray that you would strengthen us through your word as it goes forth. We know that this is one of the great means that you have chosen to use to build up your people in faith and Lord, we know that we, that we need it as we consider the opposition that your church faces today, that we need, we need to, to be strong in the faith. We need to be steadfast. We need to be unwavering and courageous. And we need all these things, even as we see uh, Jonathan uh, exhibiting all these qualities here in this passage. Lord, grant that through the preaching of your word that you would strengthen us in this way, that we would be built up, that we would uh, be able to honor you with the, the, the faith that we have. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Psalm 33, verses 16 and 17 says this, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Uh, very well-known words from the end of Psalm chapter 33. And uh, if you have been keeping up with uh, the Hawk boards, we've been given updates uh, every once in a while, and they, they actually, uh, maybe it was about a year ago or several months ago at least, sent out a, a video update about their ministry in Ukraine. So they are some of our OPC missionaries that are in Ukraine. When the war with Russia started, they actually remained in the country and continued to minister to people there. Uh, they were in, are in a place that is relatively safe on the western parts of Ukraine. Uh, but one of the things that is that uh, that Hero Hockerboard has had said in his update was that when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, the, the, the great hope for the Ukrainians, by and large, was that they believed they had a strong enough military to, to re repel the Russians. They said, you know, we, we believe we can do it. They, their military had grown strong over the last several years, uh, stronger than it had been, and uh, they believed that they were ready. And, and this is something that Hero Hockerboard was saying, is that the people largely put their faith in the government and in military deliverance. They believed that they can win. Uh, the, the war through strength of arms. And we can see that there is even in Ukraine now the same focus, uh, that there is um, you know, the great request from Ukraine is that they have stronger forces of arms, that, that, that those be given to them. 
And now I'm not commenting on whether or not it's right or wrong to do that. I'm, 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 I, I'm even, I can even say that it's, it's not wrong for a country to use force of arms to fight a just war. None of that is wrong. Uh, but the, the, the point that is often missed, and the thing that Hero Hockeyboard is trying to get the Ukrainians to see, is really the same point that we need to, to hear today as well, which is that in terms of the outcome of a war, ultimately, ultimately, it is not because of the strength of arms, it is because of the Lord. If the Lord is on our side, then we will be delivered. It's not actually about numbers so much. God is able to save by many or by few. And this is the point that was, of course, very practical for the Ukrainians that Hero Hockeyboard is ministering to. But it's important to recognize that it is, in fact, something that we need to keep in mind as well. As we think about the growing opposition to the church, as we think about those who are opposed to God, it's important to recognize that even though it seems like all the strongest of the country, all the institutional power seems to be against us and against Christianity and whatever else, that, uh, that yet those who are with us are more than those who are with them, for we have God on our side. And God is able to deliver by many or by few. Now, uh, even as we think about this, our own situation, you think about the, the growing opposition, you know, there, there was a time, it wasn't even that long ago, uh, even in my lifetime, when, uh, you know, even those who did not believe in the scriptures, who weren't Christians, would have at least said that Christianity generally had a good impact on society, that it was, it was generally a good thing, you know, at least if whether or not Jesus Christ is real and really died and rose from the dead and those sorts of things, at the very least, the, the morals that are taught in, in the Christian faith are good. That's, that's something that was at least said at one point. But now, more and more, we are finding that those who are opposed to the scriptures and those who are opposed to the church and to God that they are actually, they very often claim that the ethics of the scriptures are in fact wrong. That the reason why the country is going the way that it is is because of, of Christians, that we are actually uh, teaching things that are wrong. And this is one of the reasons why there is a growing opposition uh, to Christianity in our day. Now, when we think about this in our own circumstances then, we, we recognize that there is opposition and therefore we must understand what we are to do as Christians in terms of holding the faith in the face of such opposition. And we learn the great lesson here from Jonathan, that we are to recognize that God is able to say by many or by few. And that though it may appear that in terms of influence, institutional power, or whatever else, even the laws that are attempting to be passed in this country and are being passed in other countries, even though those are against us, that yet God is with us. And we are to believe, even in the face of what appears to be uh, appears to be a bad situation, we are to believe that God is able to deliver us. Now, if you were with us last week, you remember uh, we looked at the difficulties that Saul faced. This is really a continuation of that. Uh, you remember that in chapter 13, the, the beginning of chapter 13, the Philistines had come against uh, the, the people of God, and Saul was uh, very, he was terrified, and it's completely understandable that he was as scared as he was. And you remember, though, that in his fear, he disobeyed the Lord in ways that he thought were justified. And uh, he did this because he, 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 you know, he, he believed that there needed to be an action that was taken. But the thing that he had forgotten was this principle that uh, Jonathan here, in fact, knows. And that was the principle that God is able to save even by few. And his disobedience caused Samuel to tell him that he would one day lose the kingdom. And yet, for uh, the, the, uh, for what is very good for the people of God, where Saul has failed, Jonathan, we see, his son, succeeds. 
Where Saul failed, Jonathan succeeds, and rather than display a lack of faith in fear that causes him to shrink back and to disobey God, he acts courageously in faith and delivers the people of God from their enemies. Now, uh, we'll look at this passage then under, uh, under three headings as we, consider, as we consider God's ability to save by many or by few. We're going to look first at the, the setting in verses uh, 16 through 23 of chapter 13. And really, the, the, the main point here is that, uh, that the people of God, are, they're not only drastically overwhelmed and outnumbered, uh, but they, they also have basically no weapons. So they, are, you know, they have very little chance of succeeding and winning in this fight. But then we see the great deliverance that we, uh, from Jonathan in verses 1 through 14 of chapter 14, where he believes that God is able to deliver by many or by few. And then in uh, verses 15 through 23, we see again... Uh, a contrast with Saul. So Saul acts foolishly, and yet God still gives a victory to his people. Uh, one of the things that we are seeing really from the beginning of 13 all the way, we're going to see all the way through, through 16, is this contrast between uh, Saul and Jonathan and Saul and David. There's going to be this contrast that, that Saul is always acting foolishly, and uh, Jonathan is acting like a man after God's own heart. And of course, we know that David is the man after God's own heart. And so uh, let, let's look then again at the end of chapter 13, verses 16 through 23. Now you remember that one of the things that was, that was already uh, explained in the beginning of chapter 13 was the overwhelming uh, number of the Philistines. You remember that they had 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. So, so the idea there is that if you took just their chariots, they had a fairly decent-sized army, and then their foot soldiers are described as being uh, as numerous as the sand that is on the, the, the shore of the sea. That is what they had, and by contrast, the Israelites have 600. They have 600 men on their side. And now we are told two things in this text, uh, in this passage here. We are told first that the, that the raiders, uh, the Philistines would send out raiders to terrify the people of God, cutting them off at various points. And then, as I mentioned earlier, they also have no weapons. So there was this long description of the way in which the Philistines had cut off the, the, the blacksmiths from the land, and uh, they had done this strategically to hurt the, the Israelite army. And so if anyone wanted to go into the battle, then they had to bring their, you know, their, their farming equipment. They had to you know, beat it into something that looked kind of like a weapon, and then they had to use that to fight. The only ones who had actual swords, we are told, is uh, Saul and Jonathan. So there are two swords. There are 600 men, and there are only uh, two swords. We are told that the Philistines are encamped at Michmash, as it was in chapter 13, showing us that, again, this is the same, the same episode, so to speak. This is the same uh, problem. Uh, the same thing that was terrifying Saul in chapter 13 is still an issue. And that is the context in which we then see Jonathan's great faith in chapter 14. We see this first in verses 1 to 5. Uh, where Jonathan begins by telling his armor bearer that they, are, that they ought to go over to the side of the Philistines. So uh, he says, you know, let, let us go over there. Uh, we, are, we are told once again, uh, we are then given some other information about uh, the this, this setting of Jonathan's faith. First, we are told that there are 600 people with Saul. This is a point that was made also in chapter 13, verse 15. Um, and as, as we noted last week, it's important to see um, this, this story is meant to uh, evoke the story of Gideon as well. Uh, the people of God are overwhelmed. The way in which the armies are described is similar to that of Gideon. You remember that even when Gideon had his 300 men, 
they didn't even really have true weapons either. Now, it was for a different reason, but they, they actually fought without weapons. So they, they fought without weapons. Now, here, the people of God are in a similar situation. They have only 600 men against what is likely, you know, over 100,000 army, likely, of the Philistines. And uh, they have themselves 600, and they have no weapons. The, the point is that the people of God need a Gideon. And what we saw last week is, is that Saul was not that Gideon. They needed someone with the faith of a Gideon, and yet... Saul was unable to do that. Secondly, you'll note that there is this, this brief statement that we are told about the nephew of Ichabod, Ahijah, who is bearing an ephod. Now, the point of this detail is going to come back in at the, uh, at the latter part of, what, of the part of chapter 14 that we're looking at this, this evening. Uh, but the point is that this is now a little detail that um, is reminiscent of the battle of Aphek in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. As soon as we hear Hophni and Phinehas, we are, we are meant to understand that bad things are going to happen and that those who are relying on those related to Ichabod, who is a child of Hophni and Phinehas, uh, uh, that th those who are related to them are in fact uh, going to be, uh, that, that, that's not going to, going to go well. Uh, Saul, uh, so Jonathan shows his faith in a way that is reminiscent of Gideon. Saul shows his foolishness in a way that's reminiscent of the elders in chapter 4 at the Battle of Aphek. Those are the comparisons that we are meant to understand and to draw. And finally, we are told something that there are uh, something about the sharp rocks that, that surround the Philistine garrison. The point is, is that um, it was very difficult. It would have been very difficult to, to get to the, the camp of the Philistines. There would have been, you, you'd need to, to climb, uh, if, uh, climb up to them on sharp rocks. And if the Philistines were to come to Jonathan and his armor bearer, they would have had to climb as well. So that's what we are told. And it is then in this context that we see this great statement of faith uh, that comes particularly uh, in uh, verse 6, where Jonathan says, let us go over to the Philistines, to, to, to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will, say, will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. This is where we see Jonathan's great faith. This is the, the, the great statement that is the, the, really the entire point of the in, entire passage. It is God is able to save by many or by few. And here we see, uh, again, the, the, the comparison between Jonathan and Gideon. The, the, purpose of, the purpose of Jonathan going over to the Philistines is to see if God would, in fact, give them into their hands. And now, this is something that was similar to, to Gideon as well. You remember that when uh, God delivered the uh, Midianites into the hand of Gideon, uh, what God appeared to Gideon and said, if you are afraid, go to the camp of the Philistines, or to, to, uh, to the Midianites. Go to the edge of the camp and just hear what they're saying. And you'll remember that that was the, that was the thing that then turned uh, Gideon and, and, and allowed him to see that God was, in fact, going to deliver the Midianites into his hand. And now Jonathan seems to be almost... Um, reenacting that whole scene on purpose. He's, he's not actually told by God to go over, but he is going over. It, it almost appears that he's got even this previous battle in his mind. It's almost like he's recognizing the, the parallels and saying, you know, Gideon went over and it was just him and God gave them into the hands. Let us go over and let us just see. We, we know it's happened before. We know God has in fact given the enemies of the people of God into the hands of just a few. He's been able to do that even when, we, when they've had no weapons, just like we have no weapons. Let us see if God will yet do the same thing for us. 
That's the kind of faith that Jonathan here is displaying. He is saying, you know, that we don't know for sure, but let us, let us just see. Uh, we've, we've learned from the past that God is able to deliver even by few, and therefore let us go. Now, there is then this plan that is laid out. So he says to his armor bearer uh, to come with him. He tells his armor bearer to come with him. And then uh, he says, you know, if the Philistines, uh, they find, if they tell them to wait, then they will not go up. So the, the idea is that if the Philistines um, say that they're going to come to them, then they're going to basically just say, you know, God, this is, uh, God's not giving them into our hand. But then if the Philistines say, come up to us, then we will take that to be a sign uh, that God is with us. Now, um, one commentator has noted that this plan is incredibly foolish if you are relying on strength of arms. So just remember the, 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 the setting. There are rocks on either side such that you have to climb what seems to be at least a, a fairly dangerous climb to get from one side to the other. And so what, what Jonathan is proposing to his armor bearer is if these Philistines expend all of their energy and move from their easily defensible place to come to us where we have the high ground, if they do that, then we're not going to fight them. But if they tell us, leave your defend defended position, expend your energy in climbing and come to us, up to us, where you're tired and fighting in a way that's, that's you know, in a situation that's, it's, you have an enormous disadvantage, then we will take it as, as a sign from God that we are going to win and that God has given them into our hands. That, that, that is, that, that's, the, the, that's the plan that Jonathan devises with his armor bearer. This will be the sign. This is how we will know that God is with us. And so this is exactly what happens. The Philistines tell them to come up. And even though it appears, if, again, if you're relying on strength of arms, this, this, would, this would be a, a time not to engage, but to, to run away. Uh, the, the Philistines tell them to come up and they do take this. They take this to be a sign that God, in fact, was delivering them into their hands. And of course, then we know what happens. They actually do climb up. And even uh, there is even this language of, of climbing up uh, uh, in, in the text. And yet then they are able to defeat about 20 men. And it, it's a similar sort of thing to what happens with, with getting it with the Midianites. The camp is thrown into confusion. The swords of the comrades are turned on one another and a great victory is won for the people of God. And thus we have the reaffirmation of the principle that we see from the story of Gideon that God is able to save by many or by few. Now, brothers and sisters, it, it, it appears again very, it appears pretty clearly that Jonathan had learned this lesson in terms of how we think about what we should do in light of this. Consider what Jonathan did. He seems very clearly to have been aware of this battle with Gideon and the Midianites. And he seems to have been, been saying, there's a principle from that battle that I can take and apply in my life. He's recognizing the similarities between the two circumstances. And he's saying, let us go, let, let, let's go up. There's already been this principle about how God acts that has been established from the scriptures. We, we've seen it in the history of God's great acts of redemption. Let us then go up and let's just see. Let's see if God will do the same thing for us. Now, that is incredibly important for us to think about as we think about applying this to our own lives. Notice his faith is seen by the fact that he took the initiative to go up to the Philistines. He wanted to see if God would give them into his hands. Now, as we think about our own situation, we must recognize we are in a battle. We are in a war. That is the way the scriptures describe it. It's the way the New Testament describes our situation. Our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but with principalities uh, in the heavenly places, 
the weapons of our warfare are not the, the, the weapons of the, of the sword made of iron or steel or whatever else, but it is the word of God. We, we take up the sword of the spirit. We, we take up the, the shield of faith. We, we take up these things in order to fight in our battle. Now, in this battle, again, it appears, just like in Jonathan's day, it appears that we are outnumbered. It very much appears that way, especially today. What then are we to do? What then are we to do? We are to take the principle that has been established here, that has been established now twice in the scriptures. And even before that, you could say even with Abraham, Abraham pursuing uh, Lot to save him with just 318 men is the same thing. The, the point is that over and over again in the scriptures, we had seen that God is able to deliver by many or by few. And we, like Jonathan, then should take the initiative to go over to the garrison of the enemy and say, who knows? Perhaps God may give them into our hands. Now, this, this, I think, applies first and foremost to the idea of evangelism. The, the idea that, that um, you know, th this, is, this is, if you were to ask, you know, how does the kingdom of God advance? What are we praying for when we, in the second petition when we, when, of the Lord's Prayer, when we pray, your kingdom come? What we're praying for as our catechism teaches, that the kingdom of, of grace would be advanced. The idea is that there would be more people who would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of, of, of God's love, that the kingdom of Satan would be diminished, and that happens through conversion, and that the kingdom of glory would be hastened. So the idea is that there would be, uh, you know, the, the, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ would come more quickly. Now, as we think about those first two, it's important to note uh, that the kingdom in this sense is advanced through evangelism. This would be related to the, what uh, the Apostle Paul says again about the, the kinds of weapons that we have. And uh, it can be tempting for us to think, you know, the enemy is really strong and they are more opposed to us than they used to be. And there is more of a cost that we may bear in doing evangelism. But brothers and sisters, in that context, what we are to remember is this principle, God is able to save by many or by few. Let us go over to the camp of the, of the Philistines, even if it means climbing up the rocks and expending our energy and, and losing our, our defended position. Let us go over to them and let us just see Let's just see, will God give them into our hands? Will God provide through the outpouring of his spirit for the advancement of the kingdom of God? This is what we are called to do. This is the way in which Saul and Jonathan are contrasted. Jonathan believed that principle and he was willing to put himself in, in danger, in faith, in order to see the kingdom of God advance. The kingdom of God, we, we are in desperate need of victories. Jonathan saw that. We're in desperate need of victories. Let us therefore go over. Let us not hang back like Saul in fear, but let us go over and let us see if God will in fact give them over. Now, uh, this of course requires courage. It's difficult to do, but brothers and sisters, let us, let us pray for courage and let us go. Let us pray that God would grant us boldness and let us go. God gave Jonathan the victory even as he gave Gideon the victory and even as he gave Abraham the victory. And who knows, it could be that he will give us the victory as well. And uh, this is what happens, of course, with Jonathan. And it is uh, something that we are to emulate in our lives. Now, this is then contrasted again with, with Saul. So let's think about the, the, compar the comparison here. Is on the one hand, you had uh, Jonathan with uh, his victory, let us go up. But you'll notice that Saul... Uh, by contrast, follows, again, the, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, instructions and the advice of the elders of the people as they, uh, as, uh, they 
uh, advised in the days of the Battle of Aphek in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. Uh, you'll notice here there are even other similarities here, the earthquakes as it did in the Battle of Ebenezer, which is in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, Jonathan has defeated the Philistines with the help of God as Samuel did, again in uh, chapter 7. The Philistines' camp is thrown into confusion, verses 15 and 16. It's here that then that the story comes back to Saul. Saul's trying to figure out what happens, uh, what, what's happened. He learns that Jonathan is not there. Then Saul tells Ahijah, again, related to Hophni and Phinehas, and that's explicitly said at the beginning of the text, uh, that we're, we're meant to, to, to see those connections. Uh, they, they, he tells Ahijah to, uh, to bring the ark, just like the people did in chapter 4. And that was to disastrous results. So we, we don't know what to do. What, what ought we to do? Saul says, let's bring the ark of God into the battle. You remember that the point of chapter 4 was to, say, was to show that the people of God were relying on things rather than on God. And that was uh, what led to their devastation. They believed that they could continue to sin against God and if they yet had some outward manifestation of God's presence, then that would be enough for them. So the, the, the idea is that you, you could have the blessing of God while not repenting of your sins, as long as you had some sort of outward token for that blessing. And that's what Saul is doing here. He has disobeyed in chapter 13. And now rather than repent, he's now going to a relative of Eli, with a relative of Hophni and Phinehas, to ask for the ark of God to come. And then even before he even hears the answer for what, uh, what the priests say, he sees, well, the battle seems to be won anyway, so let's just go in. Uh, that is what uh, Saul does. And therefore, uh, even though things work out well, there is a little hint again that Saul is not the kind of king that the people of God need. It's another little hint that he is not actually the king that they need. He is, in fact, a king like all the other nations. Uh, all the gods, uh, all, the, all the kings of all the nations always inquire of their gods in similar ways about going into, into battle. And thus Saul does as well. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong to inquire of God. We see that in other places with, with godly people in First and Second Samuel. But the point is, is that uh, Saul is doing this in a way that, that mirrors what happened in First Samuel chapter 4. And so we see then that in verses 20 through 23, there is a great victory, but very clearly from the description of the, the, the two great leaders who are being contrasted, it's not because of Saul. Uh, it's because of Jonathan and his great faith. Uh, brothers and sisters, it's important to remember as we think about the battles that we face today, that the battle belongs to the Lord. We must remember that even as the opposition to the church grows, that we are called to enter the battle with courage. Let us therefore seek to serve him in ways that correspond to the gifts that God has given to us, let us and let us be zealous to do it. Let us be diligent to, uh, to enter into the, 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 the garrison of the enemy to see whether or not God will in fact give them into our hands. Remember further that the Lord Jesus Christ is our great king and he has already won the decisive battle. As we think about the, 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 the battle that we fight, uh, the, the, the head of the serpent has been crushed. Satan has been bound. But remember even further how it is that the Lord Jesus Christ won this battle. It wasn't with strength of arms. It wasn't uh, with the might of the sword. It was by laying his life down. And that is what we are called to do as well, brothers and sisters, to fight like the Lord Jesus Christ has fought. Let us therefore not shrink back in fear like Saul, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, as the Apostle Paul has said. 
And may it be that God would grant that his kingdom would grow here in South City, in the Presbytery, and throughout the world. For we are few, but let us go up to see if God will in fact deliver us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do praise you. We do thank you. And Lord, we, we think of even um, in your providence, the, the way in which you've given us two great examples of faith today in the morning as we look at the, looked at the Canaanite woman's great faith. And here in the evening, we see uh, Jonathan's great faith. Lord, uh, please help us to, to uh, grow in our faith. We, we pray that you would grow our faith, that it would be humble and, pers- and persevering as we saw this morning, but also, Lord, as we see this evening, that it would be courageous and bold. Lord, help us, help us in this way to, uh, to, to labor for you in a manner that is pleasing to you. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would forgive us for we find in our hearts very often we are like Saul. Very often we are afraid. Very often we shrink back. Lord, we, we, we do pray that you would fill us with your spirit that we might be bold uh, like Jonathan. Uh, for Lord, you do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, There is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.